listening to Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Welcome back to another episode of Golden News Revisited, where we bring you another episode of the Golden News podcast series that we recorded for the football club. In this episode, we chat with former Hawthorne recruiting manager, John Turnbull. Turnbull was responsible for the recruitment of Chance Bateman and Mark Williams, which started a positive movement towards more inclusion of First Nations players coming to the brown and gold. It's a great episode that looks at how Turnbull brought in much-needed change to the club. It's a wonderful listen. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here. Welcome to episode 7 of season 2 of the Golden Years podcast. Our look at the great days, great games, great people of the Hawthorne Football Club. It is Sir Doug Nichols' Indigenous Round. We're halfway through at the moment. The Hawks don't actually play this week. But we've got on our guest where it's the second time we've had a non-player on the podcast. It will be John Turnbull, who was the Hawthorne recruiting manager in the late 90s and early aughts. He was responsible for bringing Chance Bateman and Mark Williams to the football club and really starting a cultural revolution of sorts within the four walls of the Hawthorne Football Club. A really important man in the club history, a bit uh, undersold in terms of how important he is to the club. He'll be with us very soon. But in the meantime, welcome to my co-hosts, the self-described Waldorf and Stadler, the Hawthorne fandom. I think that's what we're going to call them from now on. Andrew Weiss, Darren Levine. How are you? Good, thanks, Ash. Thanks again for having us, hosting us. Another uh, another brilliant episode coming up. Yeah, pretty exciting one, being the eve of the mid-season draft, which is probably the high point of the season at the moment for us Hawks fans. Yeah, I think what's happening off the field is a bit more exciting about what's happening on the field at the footy club at the moment. Um, but we talked, before we get John on the line, is... Um, important to, we're going to talk about his contribution to the club and we talk about uh, the excitement and joy that the Indigenous players have brought to Hawthorne and what a destination club it has become for Indigenous players. It wasn't always the case. Um, you'll have a question without notice uh, at the end of the podcast uh, about uh, about these players. But as uh, we've prepared to talk to John and you know, I said to you guys a bit of homework because you didn't know a lot about him uh, initially, what are you keen to talk to him about? Yeah, I think um, uh, definitely doing the research and, you know, knowing the history that we've had at the club in terms of uh, the Indigenous history, um, the fact that he wasn't just a recruiter, he's not just the guy that we know for orchestrating the whole 2001 deal and obviously we'll get onto that and have spoken to plenty of our guests about that previously, but it's apt that it's Indigenous around and as a football club, the debt, the gratitude that is owed to him for being a major contributor to the cultural shift within the Hawthorne Football Club of a no Indigenous player policy. I think until he brought Chance Bateman in, we had two Indigenous players before that time and some... 35 odd years before beforehand was was the last time we had um, an Indigenous player on on our list. So really, really excited to talk to him and and hear about some of the challenges he faced in that, that space coming in as as a recruiter at the club. Yeah, and it's really hard to imagine the, the past couple of decades without the likes of Chance Bateman, Burgoyne, Impey, Wingard, Cyril. Um, just so many, Mark Williams, just so many incredible Indigenous players to, to put on the brown and gold. And um, if that's his only legacy and, and you know, that's, that's, that's quite a big one to leave on the Hawks. But he also brought Luke Hodge to the club 
um, in that famous draft. And I'm, I'm actually really curious to ask him what he saw in Daniel Elfstone at 20 in that year. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't bring that one up. But um, he's, he's had a knack, it seems, for picking up players really, really late in the draft. Jonathan Hay in the 30s, Crody. Oh, it was Crody was an early pick. But uh, Richie Vandenberg, 78. Nathan Thompson, 83. Brad Scott, pick 85. So he had a, a real knack for picking up players really late in the draft. And also supplementary list players. I think the Brad Sewells and Michael Osborns and a number of premiership players that came through the rookie list uh, were also done under his watch as well. Mm. Lance Franklin says hi, Darren, as well, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, He's tried to block him out. Yeah, I've got a pretty <laughs> the Sydney player. where's number 23 Um, the last Indigenous player at Hawthorne was a guy Willie Rioli who I think might be the father of West Coast or certainly a a close relative of the West Coast Willie Rioli uh, played for Hawthorne in the late 90s uh, the early 90s Um, Mm. never played a senior game I think played a year of reserves as well Uh, he was the last Indigenous player uh, to come to the club uh, before uh, John turned up. So he's got a fair bit to say about it. Um, he's looking forward to chatting with us. He said, I'm going to actually I'm going to get my notes out and uh, tell you all about how we brought those players to the club. So he'll be well prepared and he's with us now. John Turnbull, welcome to the Golden Years. Thank you very much, Ashley. You hold the distinction of being only the second non-player to be on the podcast. Uh, Chris, John, Chris Connolly was the first. He was oh, a few yes. weeks ago, a colleague of yours at the time. Correct. And the first recruiting guru to come on the podcast. Before we get into some of the, the your recruiting tales, and obviously we do want to talk initially about uh, Chance Bateman and Mark Williams. Yep. How did you get to be Hawthorne's recruiting manager? Um, I was involved with football with uh, Neil Barm at Norwood in 1980-81. I was the assistant coach. Barmy went to, uh, got the gig at Melbourne. Melbourne were looking for a recruiting bloke in um, uh, in Adelaide and I became their man in Adelaide, 92, etc. Previously, I'd worked with uh, Judgy when he coached the WA state side at Subiaco in a game against South Australia. And then I worked with Jared Neesham um, the following year um, when they played South Australia again at in a uh, very wet West Lakes uh, match. So I was involved with football, um, recruiting for a number of years, and then Judgey got the gig at Hawthorne, and he asked me to come on board as their recruiter. So that's a big career move for you, because you would have made, were you full, what was your career, what profession were you in? Were you, you were teaching, weren't you, before? Oh, I was a lecturer in the University of South Australia in exercise science. So, so that's I, a, big, a big move for you to, to give that up to become a full-time AFL recruiter. Particularly with kids uh, six, four and two. So uh, we made the move and uh, uh, I enjoyed it immensely for the bulk of the time. <laughs> we'll, get into, we'll get into all of that. Um, <laughs> you, so you come across in 96, um, Hawthorne, yep. ageing list, Peter yes. Knight, the coach. Uh, what, was the, what was the brief from Judgy at, uh, and the football people there to you when you first took over? Well, they cleaned out a significant part of the uh, of the list and it was to get uh, young players in. And I think in the first years, 96, we drafted eight blokes, I think, uh, and none of them were over 20. Um, Craig Trelevin might have been uh, 21, but uh, no, that was, the, uh, that was the target, get as many young footballers in as possible. Jonathan Hay was a big one from from that draft, wasn't he? Correct. At 36. And then there was also Brad Scott at pick 85. How did he well, score so far well, I had nothing to do with Brad Scott's drafting. <laughs> that was Hookie. Hookie and, and uh, Peter Schwab, I think, on the basis that uh, um, we wanted uh, uh, a somewhat senior player and, and Brad came in and uh, he was just terrific. He was terrific. Um, Jonathan Hay was year 11 boy and same as Mark Williams we're going to talk about him in a minute um, Johnny Hay was a year 11 boy at, from East Fremantle uh, he came over and lived with us for a couple of months and uh, 
um, he he was uh, he was struggling early. There's no doubt, and we'll talk about that again with Willow and Changer. But uh, Johnny Hay made a terrific uh, made terrific progress, and uh, we're still in contact with him. And as you know, he's had his difficulties, but uh, uh, he's riding high at the moment. And uh, we were knocked back with COVID a couple of months ago, and I was due to catch up with him then. But uh, Johnny's going well. Married, couple of kids, going well. And could he play? <laughs> we were fortunate to have a chat with him uh, as part of the Golden Years, and oh, excellent! Uh, some other guys uh, that you recruited, we've been able to speak to as well. The next year, in the next year's draft, the likes of Crow, Vandenberg, Nathan Thompson all found their way to Hawthorne, and yes. starting to create the genesis of that next wave of team to see us through after that 96 uh, clean out. Yep, yep. That Those two years were uh, significant and, uh, and the players you mentioned uh, were, were uh, terrific value. And particularly, in a sense, Richard Vandenberg, who then became uh, club captain, and I'll talk about him in a minute with respect to chance. Uh, no, um, they, were, they were interesting years, I think, the Hawks won a pre-season competition, which uh, started to uh, uh, get everyone interested. And uh, but uh, I think that put uh, too much weight uh, on on expectations for a year or two. But then, what two thousand and one? We lost to uh, the Bombers at the MCG in uh, would have got us in. Was there a prelim or a second final? Yeah, yeah. So. There was, there was no doubt there was terrific progress to uh, to 2001. When you were, um, we'll get to the two we'll talk to about in a moment. Hawthorne in the late 90s, uh, a push, uh, it was the Bowden Babichuk influence as well. They were athletes or footballers, did you have a preference? What, what, what were you looking for in the sort of play? I mean, you said no, you wanted young players. There was a big push, athletes being footballers at the time. What was your There's a big media push, Ashley. <laughs> And if you speak with Parco about it, um, uh, he at one stage felt that the project, the program was hijacked by athleticism and the media picked it up. And you know, Johnny Hay and Trent were obviously fantastic athletes, but football was the key. And uh, I, I felt that uh, um, the coaching staff were done a disservice and Certain senior people in the club also thought it was um, Bowden and athleticism. That it was that was a factor, but you got to you got to get the footy and you got to kick it. So I want to ask. You've mentioned John Hook. You've mentioned Schwabby, and obviously you're an influence in making the decisions on whose name to call out. What's it What's it like? Can you talk us through? the conversations, the, the research, the games of footy you watch, the conversations and how you arrive at a uniform decision as a recruiting group together with the coaching group on who it is that you're going to call out on draft night day? Well, you got to watch footy. And there was an article, uh, there was something in the press the other day about um, uh, Ned God watched 135 games. Well, um, that... Is a fair bit, but we would have. I would have watched more than them, more than that over a, a one-year uh, deal. But you've got to do it from under 16s to the next year to under 18s. After three years, you've got a fair handle on who you are, who can play and who can't play. The next thing is you've got to meet their parents. You've got to, and many of them are, are uh, single parents or sons of single parent, and you've got to meet them. That's where the Institute of Sport trips to Ireland and South Africa were really important. You've also, uh, once you meet the parents, you can get an idea whether or not the, the lad's going to be able to survive in AFL, particularly those who are going to go from interstate. Um, and uh, you also then speak at length with their coaches. Some coaches you take with a huge grain of salt because they're pumping their blokes up all the time. Um, from a the from a decision making point of view, the the coaching staff leave it to you. They've uh, they're not going to uh, 
one once or twice a coaching, uh, and I know this from other clubs, a coach would come in and say, well, you want this bloke because he's tall and he's quick or whatever, and they end up with a dud. Well, you've got to rely on the blokes who are uh, who have the job of being the, the recruiting staff. Um, and when I first started, well, right through, it was just me plus a few and um, a very reliable part-time um, recruiters who, uh, as I say, I could rely on, including the great Greg Boxall. Yeah, Greg Boxall is an icon. I think he recently made a life member of Hawthorne, I think, if my memory serves me correct. He said so he, John, enjoy, he enjoyed the, the life member's luncheon. Yeah, so they all enjoy that life member's luncheon. It's one of the great events. So, John, I remember having a conversation with you in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you... For some reason, you'd established very quickly I was a Hawthorne supporter. So we just had these great off-the-record conversations. And um, we had the big conversation one day when I said, uh, John, the one thing that strikes about Hawthorne is there are, we don't have any Indigenous players on our list. This was at a time when uh, Michael Long and Gavin Wanganine, Andrew McLeod, to name just a few, were becoming you know, superstars of competition. Peter Matera had been at West Coast for a long time. You said to me, actually, uh, we're going to change all that. Let's just talk briefly about why was that the case at Hawthorne? You might not want to speak too much about what happened beforehand, but it was obvious at Hawthorne. People talked about it in the industry. It was well-known Hawthorne to have Indigenous players. What was your opinion about why that might have been the case and how difficult was it to convince or to to change that thinking at the football club? Well, as you're probably aware, Ashley, um, we did speak off the record in those days, Ashley, in the end, in about 2005 or six, I spoke on the record with your former colleague, Rowan Connolly, and made some uh, fairly uh, firm but uh, truthful uh, statements with respect to the club as I found it. Um, I used the term, there was a strong undercurrent of prejudice, and there was. I let the board know that that was the case, particularly the, the day after, uh, sorry, the uh, board meeting after Willow was drafted. Um, I don't think we really need to go into that um, in this forum, do we, further, Ashley? No, I don't think so, but I'm just wondering, did you when you um, did you have to convince people at the club at the time that they needed to think more broadly about the sort of players they brought into the club? Uh, I just spoke strongly and there was silence and... Uh, 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 on we went. The players had a stay in it all. I remember Mark Graham coming up to me and saying, why haven't we got any more Aborig- why haven't we Aboriginal players? I said, well, don't worry, mate, we've got one on, I've got one up my sleeve, um, uh, as in chance. I must say that in 98, uh, 97, 98, Judgey had, um, we were keen on Gary Durkay, the late Gary Durkay, and um, he played with the Judgey at East Fremantle. We were keen on getting him, but uh, North Melbourne jumped early at pick thirty-one or something, and uh, um, he would have been our he would have been our first. So by uh, Judgey raising uh, Ken and, and myself raising that pros- uh, possibility, um, uh, the, the seed was sown. John, do you think? We all know and, and we'll get to um, some more detail around Chance Bateman's career. Um, in 2001, um, when his sister Candace passed away in WA, yep. uh, Hawthorne tried their hardest to organise a, a trade home yep. um, to West Coast of Frio, which didn't eventuate. And, yep. and then there was a long period of time where, um, you know, there was the possibility that he might give up football altogether. Correct. Do you think if any of those happened, and we already had Mark Williams on the books at those t- at that time, yep. do you think if any of those events took place and Bateman left Hawthorne at that period of time, it would have had a significant in- influence and impact on subsequent drafting of Indigenous players to the club? No, no. By that stage, um, uh, it was so- chance had already... It- he hardly established himself. He'd only played about uh, 10 games or something. But the uh, there was a, a an acknowledgement in the club that we needed, the club needed to have Aboriginal players, good 
Aboriginal players, and uh, I don't think that that's sort of a uh, a bit of a pie in the sky there. Uh, uh, I don't um, Andrew was it? Yeah, I, I think that that is a bit of a pie in the sky. But the 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 death of Candice was uh, tragic, and quite rightly, Chance went back to home. Um, Billy Nichols and I flew over for the funeral. Uh, he stayed on for five more weeks and then came back, as you know, and played in the Box Hill uh, uh, Premiership. And as you outlined, Andrew, he was uh, we put him up for trade. And midway through the trade period, I flew, um, uh, Schwabby and Hooky said, look, get over there. So I went over there and... Uh, uh, found them stooking in wheat fields. Now you can all find out what stooking means, boys. But they were um, out in the wheat fields, and I had a good chat with the Changer, and his old, he was there with his old man Podge and his um, best mate, who whose name escapes me. But anyway, we had a long chat, and then I said, "Look, we're keen to have, keen for you to come back, but we don't mind if you just stay and play waffle with." Uh, with Perth, and after about three hours of just talking around, I went for a walk and just went out the back of their place in the at the end of the uh, main street of York on the Avon River, beautiful place. And um, they all called me back in, and I said, we, we, "He's going to stay. He's going to go stay with Hawks." So uh, from then on, um, uh, it, as you know, it was in, he said he wanted to play fifty games for first. Aboriginal bloke to play 50 for Hawthorne. And as you know, he went on and played 177, so that was pretty damn good. But uh, um, the breakthrough for Chance and also Willow, that was at the end of 2001. And in 2002, Chance played, I think, 11 games, take his total to 18. And the breakthrough was against, was for the Atsic All-Stars, against Carlton up at Marara, uh, February 2003. And Hookie said to uh, Michael McLean, uh, these boys, we're keen for them to play. Willow at that stage had played three AFL games, but they have to be only playing 70% of the time because it's bloody hot and you've got a squad of 24. Let them... Um, anyway, a chance played 95.5% of the game and was just fantastic. And uh, Andrew uh, Adam Goods got the medal, the Poly Farmer medal, but I thought Chance was just as good. But clearly um, um, it was a breakthrough game for both of them. Willow turned Kudafidi's inside out on our forward flank and kicked one on the run from about 45. It was just sensational. The key for them, both those boys was, and they were boys at that stage still, was that they were embraced by the rest of the uh, uh, ATSIC all-star Aboriginal players, senior players as well, Andrew McLeod was the captain, et cetera. And they felt that they uh, belonged firstly in AFL football and secondly they were embraced by the, um, the Aboriginal cohort. It was just a terrific um, setup. I, remember, I went back through my notes. We played in a Wizard Cup. Uh, you all remember the Wizard Cup, boys. Um, we played a Wizard Cup pre-season game two weeks later and Chang was probably our best. So um, that was the breakthrough for those two lads. I've got a Wizard Cup footy in my cupboard here. So that I've got <laughs> at, at, at the media launch in 2002, a, a yellow Wizard Sharon still sitting prior to place in a dusty <laughs> cupboard somewhere, somewhere here. We've all got when dusty cupboards. That's right. When they first came to the club, I mean, it's a big step for them to come to club. You know, you, you go where you draft, obviously, but yeah. to, for them to come to Hawthorne, they must have been aware for both Chance and and then Willow the next year. They walk into a club where they were pioneers a bit. What yep. was that like? And did, did what had to be done at the club? Did anything have to be done at the club to make them feel welcome and to sort of get over any barriers that there may have been? Because we're talking 20, 25 years ago now. Yeah, right. Well, can I go back a step? Um, Chance and his parents came down to catch up with Schwabby and myself during the pre-draft week, and um, we met at Pier 21, uh, a motel on the Swan, and uh, he, a couple of years later, Carol, his mum, said to me, I knew he was going to go to you, blokes. He was 
I know my boy. He was relaxed in your company. And uh, I thought that was significant. He um, he came over and was chronically homesick, and so also was Willow. And the, uh, a key there, um, particularly with Willow, was uh, a bloke called Genuine. And please, can you define Genuine? Who was Genuine, Ashley? I don't know. Simon, <laughs> Simon, Simon Lloyd was nicknamed right. Genuine. He was the right. welfare guy for yep. uh, the club in those years. Um, it's sports psychology, Black, and as you know now, he's he's football manager with the with the Cats. Um, the uh, chance was with Pat and Rob Benham in a family situation with other players, and that helped. Uh, and uh, 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 Willow was a, a different kettle of fish. But I, my view was that the boy, the club. It's the play, the playing list was so young at that stage, 99, 2000, because we'd brought in all those guys. They were all on the, they all understood that these two young blokes were in the same position as they'd been a year or two before. Meanwhile, the the uh, the the, the, the uh, club management was very young. There was only uh, only well, it was Hooking, Schwabby, Kenny Judge, myself, and that was it. You know, now there's. 35 staff, so um, we just got on one. And they did, the boys did. How do you feel when you see the likes of Sean Burgoyne, Jarman Impey, Chad Wingard holding uh, linking arms and Sir Doug Nichols around and, you know, Harry Pepper and Tyler Brockman waiting in the wings there? Do you feel like you've you've kind of made, that's, that's your sort of legacy that you've left at the Hawthorne Footy Club, bringing bringing Chance and Williams and, and really changing the, the, the way that we looked at Indigenous players? Uh, a quiet um, glow, you can, you can say that, but I, 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 it, it, uh, it, it, it's terrific. And to, hear John, to see Shawnee Berg on, um, he, he really uh, ministers those, the rest of the, the Aboriginal players. Um, and... Uh, for someone like the Yorta Yorta bloke uh, Jarman Impey to come out and tell the the, uh, the the members to take a breath after they up they had a, uh, a concern about the the players going out wearing all uh, wearing thirty seven on their back in a warm up uh, in two thousand and nineteen. I thought, well, the clubs got, the players have come a long way there, and the club supported that. Uh, there are some. Uh, supporters who maybe need to take a breath. Uh, it's not very often that we have multiple legacies that we can leave. So let's go from one to another one and, and let's start talking about the 2001 draft, if, if you'd be so kind to indulge us. On I thought we were going to talk about Changer and, and, and Willow. Jeez. Well, we're, we're getting it. We're doing this chronologically, so we can certainly start. We'll, we'll get to the 2008 grand final and, and perhaps uh, some of Changer's and, and Willow's best days and, and best work, but I want to just ask about 2001 because we've had Trent Crowe, we've had Peter Schwab, we've had Luke Hodge, we've had Conley on the pod and, and now we get to get some insight from you. So before we, before we get into it, I want to ask you firstly about Luke McFarlane because he became an integral part of this trade and... Um, I, I want to go back to his recruitment and some of the games that were played in getting him recruited to the club in the first place. Uh, Can you talk us through his his recruitment to the club before he became the stake knife? Uh, well, it's sad that he was a stake knife, but in the end, it helped the club. Um, he was fantastic, uh, Luke McFarlane. Um, I didn't. Have, I went over to Perth to do some postgraduate study, I had nowhere to live and no money, so I became a housemaster at a private school, boys, uh, Christchurch Grammar. And um, um, I continued uh, um, the links with a few private school old boys, and uh, they told me there was a guy called McFarlane playing for the school. I had to go and see a 
uh, another um, Western Australian squad player who was playing for um, Aquinas and was Aquinas versus Christchurch. Beautiful sunny afternoon. And Luke McFarlane was taking hanger after hanger like he could do and had his awkward kicking action. And um, the East Fremantle people knew about Luke and had also alerted me to the fact that he was playing at Christchurch. So um, they played him in a, in, a, in a Colts game as a curtain raiser to a Sydney Swans West Coast game at uh, the Wacker. And uh, they did, East Fremantle didn't have their list name properly, so he came out with some other bloke's number and name and everyone thought that I'd engineered that, but I wasn't that smart. But Luke had four goals before 10 minutes into the second quarter, taking the phenomenal marks. Oh, geez. And um, and I I spoke to a bloke linked with East Round and said, get him off. Don't let him <laughs> don't let him show up any longer. Anyway, played, finished the game with eight goals. And I'd arranged to meet Luke after the I'd already met his parents and and uh, I'd met him a couple of times um, in that preceding couple of weeks. So I met him after the game and said, don't you ever play again for East Fremantle. Uh, no, I didn't say that. But he, uh, the, the only other club who was really interested in him, and Mick Malthouse had given him a ring, was West Coast. And in the end, I was thinking we could get Luke at about, no one else seemed to know much about him. Um, I thought we'd get him in the 40s or 50s, but West Coast had a pick in the teens, so we had to get him at 10. Anyway, he was a bloody good pick 10, and he was a, an outstanding, long-serving AFL footballer and a leader at East Fremantle, at, at Fremantle at the end of his career. So how – I don't think this gets addressed in the way that it should, so you're, you're the best place person to answer – how I remember being really upset at the time having watched him and back in those days you'd go early and watch Rezzy's games and so I'd seen every game that McFarlane played for Hawthorne and was genuinely upset that he ended up going. You were, yes. Yeah, and and so like whilst he was homesick and became part of the deal to because he wanted to go home anyway, uh, how did that just happen was it how hard did we work to actually try and keep him at the club very hard um an issue with him was osteitis pubis and uh there were uh, uh conflicting views about how that could have been treated and a Fremantle bloke said that and and got in his ear or got in his family's ear, and we could fix it up. And that was a factor of him leaving. He came to see me the, in the morning, and I said, have you made, a, have you made a decision, Luke? And he said, oh, oh, he was pretty well going to stay with us. And then an hour later he said, no, he was leaving. It was very frustrating, but uh, he was homesick, there's no doubt. But he was he he, he would have, he could have stuck it out. The osteitis pubis was a huge issue, and Ashley might remember that was an issue with the club um, at that time. Half had it. Um, Johnny Barker, um, Oji had it. Oji um, had it when he came there. Yeah. Much. So there was that was a that was an issue with Luke. Anyway, uh, there was. Uh, uh, Trent came back and played in the grand final, uh, playing the premiership. I think um, that decision to trade for picks in 2001 was pretty brave considering Hawthorne made the prelim that year. And, you know, you talk about the, the current Hawks where they are um, in, in, in the ladder and, and the unwillingness, I guess, to trade players and be bold. What what made you, um, that, that group, so... Um, Eager to, to trade picks was that was it just that draft being so good and firstly the draft was that good yeah um, and secondly the key the people who pushed it were Peter Schwab and David Parker they were outstanding in uh, convincing uh, the board and 
senior staff that this was the way to go. We're we're at a pretty good in pretty good shape here at um, end of two thousand and one, but we've got to go to the next stage, and we've got to get one of those top three picks. And um, I, I there was an uproar. There was a meeting of the members at, in the um, uh, main stand at uh, Glen Ferry. You might have been there. Uh, Andrew Ash was there. Ash was there. Andrew would have been there. <laughs> and, I was at the best and fairest, and that was pretty crazy too, wasn't it? Dear me. But I thought Parco soothed them down. Schwabby refused to talk to them, and good on him. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, well, it worked out okay. What was the tipping point? We all know it was a line ball, guard ball, Hodge, and maybe. Everyone had their favourites and their, their suitors. What was the tipping? And I even asked this before, but good to get on the record. What was the tipping point for Luke Hodge? What, in your eyes, and the decision ultimately they took your call on this, why did you think Luke Hodge was the best of the three? Because he's an on field leader and he was hard. And he understood the game. Did you, I mean, did that make it totally easy to make the decision? Did you feel pressure? like the weight of the pressure of choosing a number one pick for the club? Oh, a, there were, it was, there were uh, uh, various outside voices or inside voices who felt we should go another other way or another way, but um, to, to, uh, um, to the, the other leaders in the, in the club, they took my um, went with me. And what about that. over, like, what about over the next few years? Obviously, as the footy world uh, making the comparisons, and you know, it's all about Jard over those next few years. Some very weak you, people at the club, and uh, some uh, jump on bandwagon media people who stirred the the pot, and it didn't help uh, Luke. And uh, it didn't help the club for a year or two. Luke but did you ever have doubts throughout that time? No. Nah. Over the next few years? No. Nah. None at all? No. Nah. Oh, yeah. the only issue was to get his body right. I never had. But the other, you've got also, I just thought it was fantastic from an AFL point of view that there was um, Chris Jard, Luke Ball, and others who were just fantastic that year it was a terrific draft, and it was good for footy. But I never had. I, you know, if I was going to uh, get, uh, I shouldn't. Be, I wouldn't. Shouldn't have been in the job if I didn't uh, think that uh, um, I'd made the right decision. Because with Luke Ball, I mean, this is a guy who went to Xavier College, was a Hawthorne supporter. Oh, yeah, he would have. Would have. Bled for the, it would have crawled over broken glass paper. It must have been a hard, that must have been awfully tempted. No, you just this guy's going to come in and be fantastic because he's one of us. You don't reckon there was a, oh, one of us, there were, you don't reckon there were a few old Xavierians who were very, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they, were, they were mollified, they were um, mortified. We, more, yeah, they were mortified, and we hopefully we could mollify them by taking his elder brother and as, as a, um, uh, as a uh, rookie and who did. Did some good stuff, but that, that was the thing about the, the uh, clubs. They uh, they have these uh, entrenched views on where their players should come from, and uh, that was earlier in the piece we were talking about with uh, Indigenous players. But anyway, it was uh, it worked out well for the club, worked out well for Luke, and uh, uh, in the end, it worked out bloody well for Chris. And and uh, Luke Ball, they had fantastic careers. Um, going back to that 2001 draft, there were I think four Premiership players, and Sam Mitchell was pretty handy one out of that out of that crop. Obviously, had a very different journey to the AFL um, than Luke Hodge. What, what what qualities did you see in Sam, and when do you first remember um, seeing him play and thinking that he could do a job there in the he midfield? Just kept, he just kept getting the ball. At- uh, at VFL Box Hill mm-hmm. level, and also he kept using it. Um, I wasn't convinced that he wanted to get fit, and he uh, he uh, at the end of one uh, season 
uh, Robin Campbell and him were just in the gym with these $2,000 bikes. Oh, what's going on here? What are you guys doing? Oh, we're riding up to Rutherglen, far out. And that was convinced me that he was uh, he not only was a footballer, but he was he wanted to get healthy, uh, get fit. So he, he, the uh, the pressure there was well, the the push there was from Donald McDonald and David Parkin, who saw him week in week out at at um, at VFL level. He didn't run didn't run hard enough in uh, under 18s, and you know, there's no no secret. No, no other club picking out of that state. Oh, that's probably a really good segue to the next question because I'll, I'll bring back one of your favourites, a, a guy who did run hard enough. Uh, I always said about Chance Bateman that when he dies, they should put his heart next to Farlap in the museum. Uh, his gut running was amazing. Let's get to 2008. Um, where were you watching? And, and let's relate that back to... Chang's goal, our first goal of the game that really settled things down, that must have been a, a, a pretty good moment for you. Well, Mark Evans, rang, who at that stage was the, the club football manager, uh, is that right, Ashley? Yeah, yeah, head of footy. Yeah, head of footy. He rang me early in the week and he said, there are two tickets for you, they're coming in the post, yeah, get there. So Anne and my wife Anne and I went along, we were up in the in the nosebleeds, and uh, we were there. It was just fantastic, and uh, a chance was marvellous. You, you, uh, we've also talked about Willow. Um, in preparing for this evening, I ca- came across a photo of uh, Chance and Willow high fiving after one of Willow's goals in that in that game. It's an absolute treasure, and uh, um, a chance was just fantastic. And Willow in the second half was also. Um, um, significant, and it was a, a great win. Was it emotional? Was it an emotional day for you? There were so oh, many yeah. players still in the team that were at the club, thanks to you know your role. Well, uh, the uh, I was really pleased that to Parker, uh, sorry, Clarko's credit, he acknowledged my contribution in the press within a day or two and then later in the uh, uh, a week or five later at the uh, national draft the club uh, CEO was Ian Robson and he came up to me and shook my hand and thanked me and I thought I'm I'm happy with that and uh, um, there was an element of satisfaction there's no doubt. I went to the the function afterwards I was invited to the function afterwards and uh, uh, in a crown, you probably there, Ashley. No, I wasn't. I was working, but uh, I'm sure it was a good night, John. It was a good night, <laughs> and there was a photo of all the recruiting. All the recruiting blokes were there, and there's a terrific photo of all of us out in the corridor, um, uh, with beer in hand, celebrating the victory and uh, uh, a good win. I've just done a quick calculation. I reckon nine or ten of the Premiership team came to came to club under your. Your what you would have called their names out, um, yeah, because yeah. you were the caller of the names, of the draft. Yeah. So enormously satisfying for you. It must be. I know you've done a bit in recruiting and uh, a couple of different clubs. So this must be. That must have been a, a a high point. I mean, I can't imagine it'd be much more satisfaction than that, knowing that your fingerprints were really were all over a, a premiership team. Uh, particularly after the uh, the fashion I left the club, it really was satisfying and uh, um, yeah, good memories. Very good. Hawthorne now, John, um, they're embarking on a, another rebuild. Um, it's going to take a long time. If you were, if, if, if um, the club were to call you now and say, give us one bit of advice as, as we, I mean, they've started the process, they're, they're only early days of the process. What's the one bit of advice you give Hawthorne now and from what your, your knowledge of their list? What What's your advice to the club? I don't know the list well enough at the moment, actually, there. Um, you just got to get out and watch players, meet with their family, um, meet with the player as much as possible, so you can make a an informed decision. Can I go back to Chance and Willow? We still haven't left them yet, boys. Good. Uh, um, 
after getting after Chance was drafted, we drafted him in '99. Uh, I was very keen to find another couple of Changers, and I went to Fremantle Oval early in the 2000 season, and there was Willow playing wearing flats, and, and he kept his feet all the time. I said later, we asked him later, why are we wearing um, runners? He said, oh, my feet keep growing. I said, oh, that's that's interesting to hear. Anyway, um, he uh, played a, uh, another game against Claremont two weeks later, and then I was convinced we're gonna, he was the one I really wanted to get. But he was at Clontarf, and this was the first year of the Clontarf Aboriginal program that Jared Nishan set up. And... Schwabi and I went over to interview him after we'd spoken to him at the draft camp and we met with him at his uh, David Williams, his father's um, uh, office. He was the, uh, at, at, with ATSEC, he was the Noongar community chairman and we went, met there with um, Jared Neesham and David Williams and Schwabi, myself, and Chance Bateman. And Chance, I asked Chance to come down from York and sit with us and see if he could, uh, he, he would help make uh, Willow a bit more comfortable. And so Chance had a say in getting Willow to the club. And he helped him when he got over uh, as a 17 and a half year old boy um, who'd only just 10 months earlier been living in Katanning out in the wheat belt. And for what a change of lifestyle. Uh, all the way over, and Chance looked after him when he got there. But he, at the same time, um, there was a famous 1.5k run at Glen Ferry, and Willow stopped after the third lap and couldn't keep going. Oh, dear me, very difficult for uh, recruiting staff and uh, uh, others. And he just he wasn't he wasn't fit, and Chance wouldn't get let him off the hook but at the same time looked after him, uh, helped him along. So that was one anecdote that I wanted to talk about. And the other one was the club and uh, Richard Vandenberg and uh, Clarko organised when um, the Candace Bateman Memorial Park was opened in York in 2005. Um, the Hawkers played Fremantle at uh, the Subi and one, I remember, and uh, the players all uh, paid their own accommodation for the next night and they stayed over and all went up and supported Chance when the Bateman, uh, the Candace Bateman Memorial Park was opened uh, and it's you can Google it and uh, it's a beautiful park in uh, on the banks of uh, or near the, the Avon River. So I thought, and I'm sure that, Type of activity was a precursor to the 2008 tight knit group that they were. It was interesting. I remember that because it was they'd beaten Fremantle, which was a bit of a surprise, and they'd started to find a little bit of form under Clarkson in his first year. Yep. They had a short week. They were playing Collingwood on a six day break the following Saturday at the MCG, which suddenly was quite a big game because Hawthorne had found some form. And they said, getting back to Melbourne quickly to prepare, they stayed in WA for this event with Chance Bateman and pretty yep. much got well beaten the next week by Collingwood, but Clarko actually said after the game, and this is you know, this was one of the early signs that Clarko had something exceptional going, he said it was more important for the development of the team that we supported Chance yep. in this event. We'll grow more as a club than by just getting back and preparing as we normally would have on a short break, which yep. uh, I have vivid memories of, of that of that, of that that episode. One more, and... Uh, that supports what I was thinking. The, the other one was that after the, that event and after uh, um, uh, spending time with uh, Chance at his place, he said, I'm going to buy that house. The house that they lived, they rented was a, uh, a government uh, um, house at the end of uh, the main street of York opposite the cop shop and uh, they'd been renting it for years and uh, um, Chance, with the help, I think, of Liam Pickering, uh, bought the house. Fantastic. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's considered to be one of the great people in, in footy and one of the great, great people in the Hawthorne. I know West Coast 
were very keen to get him. I don't think he lasted all that long. I think he was a COVID casualty as a development coach Correct. there at West Coast. We were very keen to have him in their system for a while as well, just because of what a, a mentor and a leader of young young men he is. So he, he truly is one of one of the good people, footy changer. No, he's a great, and he's been pushing for each club to have a an, an Indigenous or Aboriginal uh, welfare guy or. Uh, slash forward co- coach or development coach, etc. The Hawks have got one already with Sean, um, but every club, it, it, it's very frustrating for Chance and others that uh, Bloodside, Phil Narkle, etc. were the first cab off out once the COVID came. And I think it was a, a very, I reckon the AFL should revisit their funding and provide um, sufficient funds for each of the 18 clubs to have a uh, Aboriginal uh, um, uh, liaison coach welfare guy. John, before we go, um, we always tell a lot our guests to tell us, so what sort of things you, have you got going on now? I know you're living in South Australia. What, what, what are you doing for yourself these days? I'm just a suburban boy, Ashley. <laughs> Dave Warner from the suburbs. Dave Warner, yes, yeah, the other Dave Warner. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now um, we've got some family uh, support health issues at the moment, and uh, uh, but I can't help myself. Uh, I'm involved with football over on Kangaroo Island, and that comes back to uh, Clontarf. We've been bringing boys, Year Twelve graduates from the Clontarf Academy programs from Northern Territory and WA. Um, over to play for the mighty Dudley United Eagles. Um, there's five boys from Tennant Creek um, there at the moment and uh, um, the team's undefeated and I'm in, uh, heavily involved with that. With that. But um, we're, So I commute over to the island uh, every second week or whatever and look out, help, help out with that. It's a terrific program. The community have embraced them. It's great for the island um, to see these boys. And uh, it's terrific with the boys because they get work experience and they get a life experience, and uh, uh, and so um, most enjoyable. Well, I think before we wrap up, John, I think well, we've got thousands of followers across our platforms, and um, a lot of them are uh, as well. Can I use the word nuffy? Nuffy supporters like me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> You're not a nothing. <laughs> and, and you know what? I think that um, it's it's been incredible talking to you. I, I just want to be able to say, you know, on behalf of all Hawthorne supporters, thank you. I think that um, there are people through the history of the club, such as yourself, the impact that you've had the, at the club to pave the way for us to be able to watch the likes of, Chance and Buddy and Cyril play at our club every week, win flags and watch them play. And and the decisions around the time of 2001, which literally not only changed the course of history for the club, but for us supporters, like we've got that to fall back on when we think about the times we're going through at the moment and that decision to recruit Hodge, the decision to trade Crow, the, the decisions to be able to get the Indigenous stars through the doors, they are literally life-changing decisions for tens of thousands of, of people. And so, yeah, from me personally, but on behalf of everyone, just thank you. Like you, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Andrew. That, uh, that that warms my heart. And I, I, after all these years, I, uh, I do appreciate that. I really do. John, thank you for coming to the podcast. It's been wonderful to have you on. And uh, as I said, there might be some more story for you to tell us on a future episode. Stay well and stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, Ashley. So that was John Turnbull, the Hawthorne recruiting manager between 19, late 1995 and uh, 2003. And as we said during a podcast, really did leave an indelible mark on the footy club. Uh, I promise you guys when we set this up, I said I'm going to get JT on and you're going to love it. And I think just watching both of your faces as we recorded this, that uh, you absolutely were fascinated by what he had to say. He also promised that he'd have a glass of red through the pod and he... <laughs> He delivered, so. <laughs> yeah, I think 
did did I did I adequately you know push my gratitude across for everything that he's done? <laughs> I reckon that was a uh, Oscar winning. <laughs> you know what? Like genuinely, you think about the differences the recruitment of players make to a club and that trade individually. The two thousand one trades talked about all all of the time. The amount of joy a Luke Hodge has given to, I said tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Hawks supporters is all down to the fact that we traded, we brought him in, pick one, we made the call uh, and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. If there's one lesson, though, from that 2001 trade, it's that you've got to be brave and and they did that trade where they made a prelim. So we're, we're talking about, um, you know, looking at the list now, looking at the ladder. Um, be brave. Darren's already <laughs> trading away all of our premiership heroes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to the other part of the podcast. I just think it was so noticeable by the mid-90s what was lacking at Hawthorne. And uh, he, he changed that. And we're now at the, st- at the stage where Hawthorne, and I'll ask a lot of you to Sean Burgoyne, but even Sirioli and Lance Franklin before them. Um, Hawthorne is a destination club for Indigenous players. You're an Indigenous footballer, you know. I mean, all, all clubs are pretty good now. Let's not get too carried away. But if you're an Indigenous player, you know you're going to go to Hawthorne, you're going to a good place. And uh, a place where you'll be nurtured and support and you can thrive. And I think John Turnbull started the ball rolling, which I think makes him one of the great unsung heroes of the footy club. Yeah, and I think um, that's just such a great thing about supporting the club. You saw today they announced um, uh, proud Aboriginal woman Ashanti Bush and told her story on, on socials. And, um, you know, you've got Harry Pepper, Tyler Brockman waiting in the wings. Um, it's, it's just a, a safe space for Indigenous players to come and express themselves and be, be who they are. And I think that's just an absolute credit to the club. Um, and to and to John, who kind of started it all um, with Changa. So that was the podcast for um, this this week. Um, Darren, where do we find your best work? Um, I'm on Twitter at Darren underscore Levine, L-E-V-I-N, um, and also at Hawks Insiders, um, which is a new newsletter I've started up with none under the, none other than the Stadler or Waldorf of this pod, Andrew Weiss. And you can obviously find me there as well at Hawks Insiders, at Weissio9 and at My Sport Live. And I'm in the page of the AFL record and occasionally on Hawks Insiders um, and on Twitter at Hash Brown, that's Hash with an H, Brown with an E. Have a bit of fun with that as well just to... Uh, just look at things from a, 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 through a brown and gold lens. But don't forget, there's really good content all the time on the official Hawthorne website, hawthornefc.com.au. They've had some wonderful stuff through the Indigenous round. It's been a tricky season for Hawthorne, but the content coming through has been great and some brutally honest takes as well from the players over the early season struggles. So uh, keep visiting hawthornefc.com.au every day for great, important leading content about the Hawthorne Footy Club and hopefully a, uh, a few more wins over the second part of the season. That's been the podcast. Thank you, as always, to Amy and Matt back at Hawthorne HQ for all their help getting the podcast from our device to yours. Just looking at the future thing coming up for Hawthorne, uh, it won't be long before Sean Bergon's 400th game and we are going to have uh, a special podcast uh, in the lead-up to or around that milestone to celebrate his wonderful career. So we'll have one or two before then, but uh, don't forget, we, we certainly have the Burgoyne 400 game penciled firmly in our calendars and we're looking forward to doing something with that. Until then, Andrew, Darren, any last words? Oh, I think, as you just said, with future guests, John Turnbull could be the trailblazer once again and looking forward to potentially a few non-Hawthorne playing future guests. Uh, but for now, very much looking forward to spending the next week trying to find all the information we can, all the footage we can of our new draftees and and have something to be excited about. I was going to say, if that's not a good um, sort of invitation to Chance Bateman to come on the pod, then that, then I, I don't know what is. So Chance, if you're listening, 
Uh, no, he's going to come on. He apologizes. He's, he's very oh, busy. Brilliant. He, he's very busy this time during this whole the um, this time. He's really played out for him. He said he apologized and he's happy to come on later. So we will keep trying. Hopefully, bring these words to these stories in through his uh, through his words and eyes before the end of the season. So that is the goal. Thank you for listening to the Gold News podcast. We will talk to you again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.